Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how the mysterious Hypatia Stone could change what we know about our solar system, why wind chill probably doesn't mean what you think it means, and how you can learn skills faster with a 15-minute workout. Let's satisfy some curiosity on the award-winning Curiosity Daily. Have you heard of the Hypatia Stone? It's really mysterious, and researchers don't know where it came from. I'm not talking like they don't know which country it came from or even what planet. This rock doesn't match the ingredients of our solar system, and its origins could change what we think we know about how our solar system was formed. Here's the story. The Hypatia Stone was found in 1996 by a geologist in southwest Egypt, and it was named after the earliest known female mathematician and astronomer. The stone was covered in the kinds of microscopic diamonds that suggest it came from outer space. In 2013, researchers at the University of Johannesburg confirmed this and said it was likely the core of a comet, the first one we've ever found. The stone didn't have the ingredients of any known comet, though. So for a paper published in December 2017, that team took a second crack at analyzing the stone. This time, they used sophisticated electron microscopy techniques to get a closer look at its exact composition. It turns out that the mineral matrix is all wrong for an object from our solar system. It also contains the kinds of carbon compounds you generally see in interstellar dust, which is not something you typically find in our neck of the woods. But the Hypatia Stone's real claim to fame is in the mineral grains. They're made up of nickel, phosphorus, and iron, but not in any ratio we're familiar with. And according to the researchers, that could mean the stone formed before our sun did. If it didn't form before our solar system, though, then that means something even weirder. Right now, the most popular theory about how our part of the universe was formed is that the bodies in our solar system formed from a huge uniform cloud of dust. That's why you find the same compounds in all the rocky stuff like planets, moons, and meteors. If the Hypatia stone formed around the same time as everything else, though, then that means the cloud wasn't uniform. Either way, we know that the Hypatia stone formed in the kind of cold environment you'd find way, way beyond Neptune. The next step for researchers is to dig further into where this rock came from. Who knew something so tiny could have such big implications? Thanos. I don't get it. <laughs> I haven't seen it. What? Ashley. <laughs> the worst. All I know about Thanos is from Twitter. <laughs> you saw Doctor Strange, didn't you? Yes. Benedict Cumberbatch? I slept through a lot of it. No! <laughs> We're done here. <laughs> If you're like Ashley and me, you may have just spent several days hibernating during the ridiculous cold snap sweeping the United States. The Chicago River, as we record this, is frozen solid, and temperatures dropped to around 15 to 20 degrees below zero Fahrenheit, which is about 26 to 28 degrees below zero Celsius. And the wind chill was even twice that cold. That might sound scary, but do you know what wind chill even means? Grab a cup of hot chocolate and settle in by the fire because I'm about to tell you why talking about wind chill is kind of like blowing a bunch of hot air. Also, side note, Ashley is wrapped in a blanket right now. Yes, it's super cozy. It's so cold in our office. It really is. <laughs> well, let me cut to the chase. Wind chill doesn't tell you whether it's freezing outside. It just predicts how fast you'll get frostbite. And as it turns out, it's even pretty lousy at that. The first idea of a wind chill factor was developed by a pair of American scientists who were working in Antarctica. They wanted to measure how wind was able to make objects lose heat more quickly than they would usually. This new metric was measured in kilocalories per hour per square meter. 
so the technical-sounding term was mostly used by scientists until the 1960s. That's when the U.S. military realized it might come in handy for troops, so they translated the metric into equivalent temperature, that is, degrees Fahrenheit. That's when it caught on like wildfire, appearing in TV and radio weather reports everywhere. Then the National Weather Service recruited scientists to revise the wind chill formula by using experiments with real people. It was brilliant in its simplicity. If you know the temperature and wind speed outside, then you can know your risk of frostbite. Kind of. Here's the problem. It assumes a whole lot of things that probably don't apply to you. Wind chill only predicts your risk of frostbite if you are these things. You're five foot six, you're overweight, the sun is not shining, you have no trees or buildings blocking the wind, and you're walking steadily at three miles per hour straight into a headwind. Pretty specific. Despite this glaring flaw and many calling to abandon the metric, the National Weather Service still promotes wind chill as the be-all end-all. Luckily, there are better alternatives out there. If you use AccuWeather, you can check its real field temperature to know how it feels outside. And for a more scientific measure, try the Universal Thermal Climate Index, or UTCI. Either way, bundle up this week, stay warm, and don't forget to pick up some hot cocoa on your way home. Or whiskey. <laughs> There's a growing body of research showing that if you're trying to learn a new skill, then a post-practice workout might be in order. Whether you want to learn the guitar or you're trying to get good at swing dancing, today I've got a tip for how you can learn skills faster with a 15-minute workout. I seriously wonder if this applies for video games, too. Oh, I bet it does. Because you got to use your thumbs. That's a motor skill. Yeah. I mean, any excuse to do a workout, you know. Any excuse to play video games is more like it. <laughs> this research comes from Mark Roig. He's an assistant professor at the School of Physical and Occupational Therapy at McGill University in Canada. And he's done a lot of research into when and how hard you should exercise to boost your learning. In his newest study, he looked into what's going on in the brains of people who perform a post-practice workout. For the study, 25 participants performed a computer tracking task that involved using a joystick to keep a cursor inside of a moving target on the screen. Sounds like a video game to me. The joystick was a dynamometer, which means it works by measuring how much you squeeze the grip of your hand instead of measuring which direction you tilt it. Half the participants did 15 minutes of high-intensity interval training on a stationary bike, while the other half just hung out. Then, participants came back to try that computer task eight hours later, and again 24 hours later. While all of this was going on, the participants wore electroencephalography, or EEG, sensors and electromyography, or EMG, sensors. Those sensors measured their brain and muscle activity. And when they combed through the data, researchers found that those who had exercised were better at performing the tracking task 24 hours later, and they had quieter, more efficient brain activity during the task than those who hadn't exercised. They believed this was because exercise had made the connections between and within the two brain hemispheres more efficient overall. One of the senior authors on the paper said, quote, What this means, in concrete terms, is that exercise may help free up part of your brain to do other things, unquote. And by the way, there wasn't much of a difference in performance between the two groups after eight hours. The exercisers performed significantly better only after they'd gotten a good night's sleep 24 hours later. This suggests that sleep can interact with exercise to optimize the consolidation of motor memories. The takeaway is clear. If you're learning a new skill, make sure to include exercise as a fundamental part of your practice session. Hit the gym, ride your bike, or go for a run after you learn something new. And of course, get a good night's sleep and you may learn it faster than you'd ever believe you could. 
I'm going to be unstoppable in Smash Brothers Ultimate. <laughs> well, you have to work out first. Don't I have to work out after? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I haven't worked out after yeah. learning this. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> Today's ad-free episode was brought to you by our patrons. Special thanks to Mohamed Shafaz, Sergio Moreno, Luke Chapman, John Friesen, Brayden Johnson, and Deus Bencomo for your support on Patreon. We really appreciate it. To learn more about how you can support Curiosity Daily and how to get access to our feature-length Patreon-exclusive podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash curiosity.com, all spelled out. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily to learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.